Hi, everyone. This is V-Shake from ShakeTheCosmos.com. My guest today is Yi Chen. She's a documentary filmmaker based in Washington, D.C., and her work explores the intersection of racial justice, immigration, and democracy. She directed and produced First Vote. I just recently watched this documentary. Go check it out, firstvote.com. And we're going to talk about the background, context, the impetus behind this documentary, and then also the diverse set of subjects she had in the documentary and dive into some of the themes. And if you're listening right now, hit the follow or subscribe button. And if you like this episode, give it a five-star rating. That helps me in the organic search results. Thank you so much for being on the show. You really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, so can you just give a little bit background about you for the listeners who are listening right now? Sure. Um, so like you said, I'm a filmmaker based in Washington, D.C. Um, I was born and grew up in Shanghai, and I came to the United States in 2003 to attend uh, graduate school. Um, and I got my MFA from American University's uh, film program. I have worked since in journalism and uh, nonfiction storytelling for nonprofits and museums. Um, I also taught filmmaking at George Mason University in Virginia for about two years. And uh, 2020 is actually my first time voting. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about that um, uh, and more. So would love to kind of jump into the movie, uh, the documentary. And I'm excited because uh, actually you're, you're the first filmmaker on the podcast that I have. So um, so wh- what, was, what was the impetus behind this film? Uh, why did you decide to take on this project? Yeah, so um, one of the reasons is I was becoming a first-time voter myself. So at the time, uh, back in late 2016 and early 2017, when I started uh, working on the project, I was interested in exploring voting and democratic participation from voters in my own community and on both sides. I was particularly interested in first-time voters living in swing states. Great. So. And how has this experience been like compared to some of the other projects that you've done in past? Um... Yeah, so this is my first feature length documentary and um, I've done commissioned projects, but I think in terms of comparison, I would probably compare it to my last independent documentary, uh, which was a half hour documentary called Chinatown. So that film follows three um, Chinatown residents in DC and their activism to keep their building affordable um, in Chinatown because of gentrification. Um, The building owner wanted to sell the building. um, So so that was the story. And um, yeah, and I wanted to compare to that project because they're both my, I, what I call independent project, meaning that I am responsible for um, getting the project funded, essentially. Um, so yeah, so this, so first vote is very different because for Chinatown, um, it, the story happened in the same city that I, I live so in terms of filming, um, when the characters would just call me and tell me something, 
is going on, I can go there in 30 minutes and, and film. Um, so for first vote, it's, it's very different in that sense that the characters uh, living North Carolina and Ohio. Um, so it, it took, it takes more planning um, in terms of um, production. Um, and it involves a lot more traveling um, as well. And, um, and the film is also different because the car- some of the characters, they go to political conventions and uh, events. So in terms of getting access um, to those uh, political uh, events um, was something new to me that I had to navigate. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's also a, a longer film, so it uh, requires more... Um, more fundraising and distribution is also um, a little bit different um, as well. That's great. And then what's, what's the response been like from first vote? Um, and what are some things that have happened that maybe you or the team didn't expect? Yeah. So the response has been really amazing and rewarding. Uh, so audience members um, have told me that the film has energized them to stay hopeful and civically engaged and inspire them to ask questions on of those uh, whose beliefs are different from them. And some, some of them told me that they watched the film uh, with their family members um, that have different political views. Um, in terms of what, we didn't expect. I would say the biggest thing is the pandemic because we were we were finishing um, the film. Uh, we picture locked early this year, um, and we were finishing the film in. Um, so I worked with a composer in um, February and finished that in March. Um, and in March and April, I was supposed to go to New York to do color and sound, but um, because of the pandemic, I couldn't do that. So we had to figure out how to finish the film uh, remotely, basically, um, working with um, uh, people in uh, New York. And, and distribution, too. Distribution was um, uh, impacted as well. Um, festivals weren't sure if they were going to cancel or if they were going to go virtual. And this was something new that nobody had ever done before. So um, the whole industry was, you know, really trying to figure out how to respond. So, yeah, so all of the festivals, uh, the film, so the film premiered in in May. And so all of the festivals have been virtual um, and, and everything has been virtual so far. Um, yeah. And what's, what's the, what do you feel has been the impact of things being virtual um, as you know, that the pandemic, of course, uh, nobody can anticipate. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah. What are some, what are some of the good things that have come out of that? The good things. So virtual certainly makes it harder to interact with audience or see audience um, and hear from them directly. However, on the other hand, virtual has really opened up um, in terms of um, accessibility to audience outside certain geographic locations where a festival might be. 
because it used to that it used to be that you have to be physically there to attend a film festival, but right now, uh, but now because everything is virtual and unless a festival geo block, um, otherwise it usually they're available to audience in the United States. So no matter where you are, you can watch the film from your home on your computer on your tv so i know one of the festivals um they had attendees from 27 different states and then we also have a uh, um, community panels that uh, we had audience from um, all over the country watching that's amazing and i i do want to do a plug i guess how if someone's just listening right now and they're just super excited what, how can they go and check out the film yeah so the film is right now streaming on worldchannel.org um it's part of the america reframe series um and will be streaming till november 19th um and the film also just opened in afi silver theater um virtual screening room available in uh united states and its uh, territories so if you want to support um a non-profit theater you can also watch it uh through AFI Silver Theater, um, and yeah, I've actually seen it uh, through the World Channel. So if you're listening right now, uh, click on the link in the podcast description and go check it out as well. Um, and you know, and, go ahead. Uh, sorry, can I just add? Um, the film will also play at the Hawaii International Film Festival. And for your audience in Canada, uh, it will play at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival as well. Um, and that's available to a Canadian audience. That's amazing. Um, and I love how the whole virtual aspect and people are able to watch this now in multiple countries and the accessibility. Um, diving a little bit deeper into the movie itself, um, when I... Um, and watched it. I felt the tone was fairly neutral. Uh, was that intentional? Uh, what did, or you know, you could just call me wrong. And what did the, the team do? What did the team do in the creation process to keep it that way? Yeah, it was intentional because uh, for me, I and it's just not with this film. It's with um, my own film. I, as a filmmaker, uh, it's my intention that I don't want to tell audience what to think. Um, it's not an advocacy film. Um, so I really want to leave space for audience to think for themselves and decide for themselves. Um, and this is a very complex story. It, it explores many complex issues. Um, and I also want to add nuance and humanize um, political perspective. So, so, you know, I certainly don't um, want to tell audience what to think. So, um, so yeah, so that was my intention. Um, and, and in terms of how we um, did it in the creation process, I was uh, really thinking more about um, from a storytelling perspective, um, uh, for me, it's always um, story first versus um, issue first. So I was thinking about things like how can each scene moves the story forward and how can I keep audience engaged and keep them interested in, in watching 
Um, and how can this scene or this moment reveal something new about the characters and something, um, something about the characters that we, we, for us to know who that person is. Um, and, and also in the editing process, thinking about how can we create a story arc? So there is a beginning, middle and end, and, and there is a story development. Um, and I also always think about set up, set up and payoffs um, that, you know, that audience would feel that that makes audience feel rewarding watching the movie when they're set up and payoffs. Right. So these are the things that I tend to think about more uh, when I, uh, when I'm editing. Um, and I would say one thing that really helped was we, one of the editors, he actually started a Trello storyboard. So the whole editing was also remote. I was in DC and I worked with two editors. Uh, one of them, uh, he, lived in, he lived in New York and um, the other editor, uh, she's in San Francisco. So, um, so we had a sto- storyboard um, through uh, this software called Trello. Um, and so that's, and it's a very visual storyboard that we had screenshots and, and we laid out the structure, act one. Act two, act three, what are the scenes? So um, that really um, uh, helped with, uh, with the editing process. And then uh, during the editing, were there like some scenes that you were like, oh my God, I really want to uh, include this one. But I know it sort of packed a punch uh, within the hour that I saw. So um, it must have been a tough process to edit. <laughs> Yeah, I I filmed a lot of footage. I filmed like hundreds of hours of footage. Um, I you know the production took about two years, and I had four characters, and I was I usually spend about a week with them each time, um, and so I I film constantly because this is observational style film. I'm following real life and I don't know what will happen the next moment. I, you know, I don't want to miss anything. So I tend to film as much as I could. Um, but of course, sometimes, you know, I, don't, I, 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 I turn off camera, you know, when I, when I eat with the characters and I, I talk with them when there's like a two hour long, an hour long car drive. Um, but but yeah, there was a lot of footage and um, there were a lot of interesting secondary characters that I interviewed um, that just didn't end up in the, in the film. Um, but I did edit some of the uh, footage into very short clips and, and, and they're available on the website. If you go to firstvotefilm.com under resources. Um, there are short clips um, that you can watch. And also uh, for the educational component of the film that um, teachers can also use in classrooms. Great. Again, if you're listening, go to firstvotefilm.com to check it out. So getting a little bit into the um, movie itself and um, 
you know, uh, as I, you know, started watching, you know, so there are some facts that stood out to me. So like, uh, and I didn't know some of these things. So these were eye opening. So until, you know, one of them was until 1952, federal law barred immigrants of Asian descent from becoming U.S. citizens and voting. Today, Asian Americans are the fastest growing population in U.S. More than 11 million Asian Americans will be able to vote in 2020. And Asian, so it's just, I was just surprised to learn these things. And what significance does this carry uh, carry for the documentary? Um, yeah, so I was uh, I I, can't, I was doing research for the film, I, and when I came across these numbers, I was also very surprised myself when I learned that um, Asian Americans didn't have voting rights until 1952, which is actually quite recent. So. For, I wanted to include it in the documentary to show that um, we can't take our voting rights for granted. And um, and also some of the themes that I was exploring in the film, um, like immigration, voting rights, and also um, in terms of racial justice, uh, I also found that um, there is there is connections between all of them. Um, for example, immigration laws, how uh, immigration laws can shape the demographics of this country. Um, before 1965, there's a racial quota for Asian Americans um, in terms of becoming uh, citizens. And if it wasn't because of um, the immigration law of 1965, Jennifer's family wouldn't have been able to actually immigrate to the United States. So I just see, I saw a lot of connections between these uh, different themes. And um, in terms of voting rights uh, in North Carolina in 20, uh, during the 2018 midterms, there was a um, voter ID amendment on the ballot. And, and Kaiser talked about the Shelby versus Holder Supreme Court um, case that basically uh, got rid of uh, part of the Voting Rights Act, which uh, required a federal election or any change to federal election law required clearance from uh, Department of Justice. But um, that Supreme Court case got rid of that requirement. So each state um, for example, the voting ID law was something before that they couldn't do on their own. But now, but uh, since since Shelby and Holder, a lot of states started to have it, have very strict um, voter ID state laws, right? So, um, so all these connections just started to merge. And um, even though the scene of Kaiser ta talking about that um, Supreme Court case, it, it's not in the film, but um, all these themes start to emerge. And, and so I felt it was important to include, um, include these, uh, these larger uh, contexts for us to understand um, the present situation. And then, um, you know, we started talking about some of the characters as well. And what was the process like for choosing some of the characters? Yeah, it, it took me it took me about five months to find the the characters. Um, so I, I started out was looking for first time voters, um, uh, Chinese American voters living in 
uh, swing states um, on on both sides. So um, I you know I just started talking. I actually didn't know um, as you know two of the characters in the film they they're members of a uh, uh, Chinese Americans for Trump movement. So um, and uh, all my friends I know in D.C., uh, they are Asian-Americans um, on the Democrat side. Um, so I didn't know anyone um, uh, from that um, that movement. So I, I started out asking people I know um, around me. Um, I told them what I was looking for. And do you know anybody who is part of that movement? And surprisingly to me, um, Actually, if I if I never asked, I would never know. Actually, some of them um, didn't do know someone, so they they told me, "Oh, you can talk to this person." So I talked to um, a lot of people and told them about the film, um, but most of them didn't. Um, they talked to me on the phone. They were very um, frank about. Um, I interviewed them on the phone, um, but they weren't willing to uh, be part of a, a documentary that um, I would follow them uh, for almost two years um, until the, throughout, until the 2018 midterms. So, um, yeah, so then um, in that process, uh, I heard multiple people telling me, um, and these are Chinese American voters living in Virginia, that they listen to this podcast. Um, this guy in Ohio has this Mandarin language podcast, kind of like Rush Limbaugh, very conservative um, podcast that they listen to on a Chinese social media app, WeChat. Um, so yeah, so I looked him up um, and and I emailed him and then I talked to him on the phone. I told him, um, I if I asked if I could uh, go to Ohio and film him doing doing a podcast, and he said yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and similar with Sue, um, people told me, "Oh, you should uh, look up this uh, uh, woman uh, who ran for Congress in 2016 in North Carolina. Uh, she ran; it was her first time uh, running for office. Um, she's a real estate business person." Um, and so she she won the Republican primary, but she lost in the in the general election. And her district happens to be the same district where Kaiser and Jennifer live. Um, so fourth di- district of North Carolina. Um, it's interesting you mentioned you know how you're going beyond your own social social circles, but even within the social circle, there are people that knew that that started helping you out and finding some of these connections. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's really interesting um, how Lance, his podcast actually reached people way outside Ohio because the I remember the first day um, after I filmed with him, he put me on the spot. He was like, oh, do you want to? And he was doing his podcast, right? And I was recording. And then at the end, he was like, oh, um, by the way, I have this this director here filming and um, uh, let's ask her to say something. <laughs> so I was totally unprepared and I didn't know what to say. And he put me on the spot. He wanted me to say something on his podcast. Um, so I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, I wish, yeah, and ahead. then... 
And then actually the, the people who told me about him actually heard the podcast on the same day and they messaged me on WeChat and they said, oh, we heard you. You're in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I think these, these connections you're making and they're, they're correct. The characters, you know, are in different places and have different views. And was there ever talk of like them meeting? together or uh or having a meal together <laughs> or maybe that's yeah <laughs> you know pre-pandemic they really would have uh particularly with festival premiere um i i would i would probably have invited all of them um to the to the festival premiere <laughs> um but this film premiered after um uh the pandemic so everything has been virtual um, and actually a few weeks ago, um, University of Colorado Boulder hosted a, um, a, a panel discussion with all four of the characters. Um, so that was the first time all four of them met each other uh, virtually and they were on the same, um, same panel. What was um, that like, um, four together? <laughs> um, well, I was quite nervous to be honest before the panel because I this it was the first time and um, they all feel very I know they all feel very strongly um, in terms of their own views. So I wasn't sure um, what it would look like, um, but it actually went um, well. And the moderator uh, had really uh, great questions for everybody. Um, so yeah, so for anyone who is interested, um, this is the first one and, and, um, that we've done, uh, probably the only one, yeah, the only one we've done with all four characters. So, um, so if anybody's interested, um, the recording is actually available. And if you go to firstofallfilm.com and go to screenings, find the screening at University of Colorado Boulder. And then you'll see there's a link uh, to the recording for the panel. Awesome. I'll be sure to include a link to that in the podcast description as well to make it easy. Um, kind of want to jump a little bit into some of the moments that were in the documentary that stood out to me, at least. Um, there was a scene where, you know, Jennifer Ho, she's talk, she talks about, you know, people don't know who Asian Americans are. Also, she's saying, you know, how... Uh, how we can't find a common a common ground. And, you know, for her, um, you know, um, I'm seeing her husband, who's presumably white, is sitting right next to her. Uh, and, you know, he's just silently listening. And so what was the significance of having her husband there in this, in this scene there? Yeah, so, um, so I remember Jennifer said people who don't know Asian Americans are was uh, right after her class, after he, she taught uh, Asian Americans in the South class. And she was walking outside the classroom um, and like walking on campus, she said that. Um, so um, the scene with a husband was, uh, I filmed that at their, outside their house um, on, the, on the porch. So... I, her husband was there because I wanted to interview them together. Um, so, so that's why I had both of them there. Um, and it was a very long interview. I interviewed them for about, uh, probably an hour. So we talked about a lot of things. Um, and I really didn't think about 
the importance of having her husband there. The intention was really to um, interview them together. Um, and it just so happens that in the editing, in terms of um, the story, that was uh, part of the interview that ended up in the, in the final film. Um, and it just so happens that it was Jennifer talking um, and her husband was there and uh, he didn't really say anything. Um, so, yeah, so it was it was it was just part of a very long interview I did with both of them. Um, and it was very early morning and Jennifer was very energetic. She's definitely a morning person. I was still waking up <laughs> and she had been up for like two hours already. She already walked um, her dog and everything. And so she was, <laughs> she was very um, energetic, uh, but her husband uh, just had his coffee and, <laughs> and I think he was still waking up um, like me. So um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I, it's kind of fun learning these little quirks. Uh, um, and, you know, I, I think um, on, and, and then there's another scene that comes to mind, which is, you know, there's an emotional, um, and she's almost like a crying protester who says, you know, she's just frustrated that her parents mm -hmm. will vote for Trump. And she thinks it's because they watch Fox News. And, um, you know, what role does media play in influencing the opinions of the characters? Or uh, I just didn't see as much discussion about media. Uh, or was there a particular reason why? Um, well, I actually did. Uh, somehow you were. Um, but, can yeah, you repeat yeah. the question? Yeah, you were cut out for like most part of the question. Thank you. I'll just repeat it. So in um, one of the scenes, you know, um, there is there is an emotional protester and she's just uh, frustrated that her parents uh, will vote for Trump. And she thinks it's because uh, they watch Fox News. So um, what role does media play in influencing the opinions of some of the characters? Or I just didn't see as much discussion of media. And was was there a reason why? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So um, your first question, so when I was actually filming with um, Sue, um, actually the day, if you remember that scene, um, the North Carolina Republican Convention, uh, that was actually the day Trump announced uh, that he decided to withdraw from uh, Paris Climate Accord. Um, so that's why there were uh, protesters outside. and. Um, and they were protesting that mostly that and other things. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, after the convention, um, I went home with Sue and, uh, she was actually, she started watching, um, Fox news coverage. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I mean, she does. And I filmed that. Um, and I did an interview with her while she was watching TV. Um, about her thoughts on um, uh, 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 withdrawing from uh, uh, leaving the Paris Climate Accord, and and if you remember the scene where um, Lance was in the car and uh, driving to the uh, Ohio Republican uh, convention uh, with uh, Trump, right? He was in the car and he was listening to uh, the radio, and the radio announced that 
the president was coming to Ohio that day. So I asked him what he was uh, listening to, and it's actually Fox Business. Um, so I did film uh, these moments where, um, uh, you know, they were listening or watching media. And at, so at one point of um, one of the uh, rough cuts stage, um, I did include, um, I actually wanted to include a lot more. Um, it was, I feel like rough cuts were more issue driven. It was me, you know, kind of like going down different issues. Oh, media, let's show this. And different issues that show. So it was in the cut at some point. Um, but, but those are not, again, going back to my approach in terms of story first, I really wanted the film to be engaging. And that was one of the most important things to me. So that means, um, you know, there are certain scenes that maybe touches on different issues, but they're not necessarily the most interesting or engaging scenes, right? So, you know, it's a decision that I really had to make what to keep in the film and, and you know, what not, you know. So it, it just turns out that those scenes didn't end up in the film. Um, and I wish, but that's the other thing, right? Like uh, for an article, I feel like if someone were to write an article, they can really go down the list and talk about each issue, right? But with documentaries, there is a limitation of, of what footage can we get. And particularly for this film, it's not an interview-driven film. Um, and it really is capturing moments from real life and seeing, all the, uh, seeing the characters um, doing something. Um, so... So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like documentaries is, it's just not, it, it, this film is not going to cover everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, if you're listening right now, go check it out at firstvotefilm.com. I think, you know, it's interesting how much content there is that is not in the one hour and makes me almost want to see if there's, you know, there's going to be a second version. <laughs> <laughs> like a um, follow-up or something. And I mean, I think another um, fact um, that, you know, uh, that I stood out to me as I was watching it is towards the end, it says, you know, Asian Americans or immigrants are projected to become the largest immigrant group in U.S. by 2055. And I've been sharing that with many friends now <laughs> since I saw that. <laughs> um, but, you know, playing that out, you know, sort of, okay, well, what takes place in documentary, but also now kind of moving forward to 2055, what kinds of changes do you see happening? Yeah, so I was recently on the panel um, uh, with uh, uh, the chair of uh, KPAC, the Congressional um, APA um, Caucus um, representative, Congresswoman Judy Chu, and I really love what she said that Asian Americans have got, have um, gone from being marginalized to being margin of victory. Um, I really love what that quote from her. Um, and, and so Asian American, right. Asian Americans didn't, in terms of the changes, Asian Americans didn't have voting rights until 1952, but we're now the 
fastest growing segment of eligible voters in the United States, and more than 11 million will be able to vote this year. Um, particularly Asian Americans are swing voting a growing number of key swing districts. So as you see in the film that um, five, and the number is changing too. So um, the number in the film you see is 5% or more um, uh, uh, Asian American um, uh, voters are margin of victory in 79 counties and 102 congressional districts. And 2018 was the year that um, a, a record number of AAPI representatives are, were elected in, in Congress. Um, and um, on that panel, um, uh, a, a North Carolina Asian Americans Together, which is a civic engagement organization in North Carolina, and the, um, uh, the executive producer was on that, uh, executive director, she was also on that panel, and she said that Asian Americans have requested nine times the amount of mailing ballots this year. Um, that was weeks ago too, nine times um, than 2016. Um, so I, I think that we're really seeing um, a more growing number of Asian American voters and hopefully a higher voter turnout this year. That's great, and then uh, it's it's feels like we're sort of living the living in the ch change as as it's happening now. As you, as your your conversations are starting to uh, describe that, um, as we're sort of wrapping up here, can you share any specific events or anything uh, you'd like or the podcast audience to go check it out? I would love your podcast audience to watch the film. Uh, it's streaming at uh, wochannel.org. It's part of the America Reframed uh, series, um, and it's streaming until November 19th. Um, it's, also, uh, it's also playing at AFI Silver Theater virtual screening room. Um, so if you want to support a great nonprofit theater, which is actually in my hometown, um, uh, DC, Maryland, Maryland area. Um, one, uh, one of my favorite, uh, nonprofit theater, AFI Silver. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the film will also play at the Hawaii International Film Festival in November. And for audience in Canada, um, the film will screen at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival. Um, and follow us on social media, First Vote Film, um, and visit our website, firstvotefilm.com. We have uh, recordings from previous panels, and we also have uh, resources available on our, our website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being on the show. And again, if you're listening, go check out firstvotefilm.com and check out the movie. Um, thanks again. You Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week.